Hey everyone, welcome to The Orchard Podcast with Amy Hughes and Rachel Hughes. We hope this episode encourages and inspires you today. As I said, we're looking at fruitfulness because we're framing the whole day around John 15. And uh, within John 15, Jesus says, essentially, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he talks about living a fruitful life, essentially lives that bear fruit. And fruitfulness is quite a Christian-y word, I think, um, because it appears uh, quite frequently in the Bible. And so we just want to unpack a bit of what that means. What does it actually mean to be fruitful? What does fruitfulness even mean? And so uh, I think it was Claire was saying, you've done an amazing job of getting the word fruitful or fruitfulness (laughs) into every single question. So first question Uh, what's the difference? I'll start with you, Claire. What do you think, what is the difference between being fruitful and being successful? Yeah, I was worried you were going to come to me with that one. It's quite a doozy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? And I think in many ways from a language perspective, you know, they're they're kind of synonyms. They're pretty much the same thing. But I think they come from a different place and there's a different value system that each of those two things come from. Um, I think... Success is primarily external, um, and fruitfulness, as we read in Scripture, is actually primarily actually internal. It's about what God grows in us. And I think, like, when I was a kid, I probably, and even a sort of teenager and a young adult, I felt probably a huge amount of, um, like, pressure to be successful um, in the eyes of the world. Um, And not just in the eyes of the world, but also to, like, do great things for Jesus, um, and that almost like my value was tied up in, you know, how many of my friends I led to Jesus, how many, like, great social injustices I managed to defeat. Um, and, and I remember, like, reading Galatians 5, which is the fruit of the Spirit, and going, like, oh, my word, hang on a minute. Um, like, none of this stuff is, like, the external success-driven things that we see in our world. That you know, The things that God grows in us aren't, like, you know, hitting the top of our careers or even doing the like, the like Christian, like churchy stuff, like having these hugely successful ministries. Um, it's actually the things like, you know, love, peace, patience, kindness. Um, and, and the other thing that I really realized about that passage is that um, it's not instructional. Like, I think often when we read that, and we've sort of been taught it in church, right? It's almost like, um, you know, we read that passage and it's like, be more patient, um, it's like Paul and Jesus and God telling us, you know, be more loving, be more kind, be more peaceful. Um, but actually, it's not, it's not instructional. These aren't things that we can do from like the sort of power of our own willpower. You know, it's not, it's like the metaphors right there, right? You know, it's not like the tree sits there and goes, fruit. Um, like it's something, you, it produces fruit because it's a tree. Um, and, and I just found that so like reassuring um, that actually, the fruitfulness in our lives, if we are followers of Jesus and we are um, abiding in him and uh, like living lives in step with the spirit, that fruit is inevitable. Um, It will grow. Um, And we don't actually have to do anything to try and make it grow. We just have to be in him and it will grow. Um, So I think, again, that's the difference between um, fruitfulness and and success is that like one, you really have to like almost like work at um, but like the fruitfulness is you're in Jesus and it's inevitable. Um, and, and I think the, the frustrating thing that I find about fruitfulness is that I, it grows really slowly, right? 
Um, like, you can't watch an apple grow. You can't just sort of sit there and, like, watch it grow. And I think it's often like that with some of this stuff, like this internal stuff. Um, you can't actually watch it grow. If you sit, like, am I more peaceful than I was yesterday? Um, God, I don't know, really. Like, probably not. And it's only over sort of, like, larger period of time that you see, um, like, you see growth. Um, you know, you, you meet someone when they're 12 and you see them when they're 13. You're like, oh, you've grown. Not that I can watch you growing, but you, you've grown. Um, and so I think that's a little bit of how we can see that in our lives, um, is looking at, um, looking at what we looked like, you know, five, ten years ago. And I think particularly when you look at how you um, deal with adversity, um, you come across, you have a sort of like tough time, and you go, I never would have dealt with it that way like a year ago or two years ago. Um, and I think that's the places that you can see the sort of fruitfulness and you can see the work of, the work of God in your life um, is over those long periods of time, particularly in that um, those periods of adversity. I feel like I'm just monologuing here, just generally about fruitfulness and not necessarily answering your question. Um, but I'm saying some things that I've learned about fruitfulness anyway. I love that. I was actually going to ask you, Rebecca, because I know you'd be far too humble to say this, but uh, you, you know, you you experienced a lot of success um, in terms of your career. And then you made a choice, or rather you were persuaded, I think, quite, to, to leave the, that career and to work for, for the church. Um, again, how, how does that tension between sort of success or ambition and fruitfulness, how did that speak into that decision? Oh, good question. Is that okay? Um, I mean, I think it's just as you were saying. I think there's a, it's about seasonality of fruit. Because we all know, don't we, the, the difference between fruit out of season. It might look absolutely fabulous, this sort of perfect-looking punnet of strawberries in Marks and Spencer's food hall. But actually, it's February, and when you taste them, although they look delicious, they're sort of rather synthetic and chemical. And you compare that with something that actually might look a bit bruised or wonky, but it's the apple that's in season. And it's of a totally different nature. So playing that back to your question, Rach, I think it's, as you say, I was, I was sort of doing a thing in the city. It was going really well. And, you know, I was on a sort of a track. Um, and I think in the world's eyes, it did look rather successful. But as you were just explaining, I think fruit is it's the outward expression of the inner nature. And things may look fabulous on the outside, but actually, if we're not, if we're not connected in the way that Amy was describing this morning to the vine, and we're, if we're not responding to God's call there can be a real emptiness to it. And having said all of that, I am now working back in the commercial world and loving it. So the, the point is there are seasons, but for that season, I definitely sensed a sort of, um, I was terribly reluctant, I should say, at the outset, but I sensed this call to go and work for the church. Um, and to the world, it looked deeply unfruitful. You know, it wasn't paid very well. We were in crummy offices. It was sort of, when you when someone asked you what you did and you had to explain, there was this deep sense of awkwardness falling across the room. Um, but actually, in terms of the what God did in me, I think partly out of my obedience to do it and wear an alpha T-shirt, um, 
and partly from what I learned doing it, that was a fruitful period. So there was, that was a season. So I think that was the seasonality. You know, God calls us in and out of things. And um, there's a verse that I love. And I read it every day on January the 1st because it's that bit of the Bible in one year because it's Psalm 1. Um, and it's about living by um, running waters and the promise of fruit in season. And as we were just hearing, there's often a long wait and it's hidden and it's lonely and it's painful and it can feel deeply unproductive. But that's not to say there's nothing going on. Elaine, is that your experience thinking about life in seasons and God wanting to potentially bring about different fruit in different seasons? Has that, has that been some of your experience? Absolutely. Um, I would say pre, we call it pre-wedded now, um, our lives, <laughs> pre-wedding, um, we went through a, a Maybe just in case, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, just it's in right. case people do, don't really, just say a little bit. So you, you're in, you set yeah. up the Kingdom Choir. Yeah, so the Kingdom Choir has been going for 30 years now. So when Karen set it up, we all, we all went to school together and we went to the same home church together, our parents you know, we're in church together. So, um, and we started singing together. So when Karen set up a choir, of course, I'm going to be in the choir, innit? We're mates. Um, so she set it up and it was going off and on for a while. And then I was the first one out of our group of friends to get married and move out of London. So I moved to Hertfordshire and the choir continued. Um, I was in it for a while and then I left and, and did more important things like, you know, had kids and, and did life and then also got into church leadership. Wow. And I think it, we were got to the point, we got to the point in our lives um, as husband and wife in leadership where actually, unusually, we felt the Lord saying that we should close the church, actually close the church. You know, I think in my experience that as Christians, we, we love beginnings but we're not so comfortable with endings and so it was a really tricky time for us because we sensed deeply that actually this was the end of this church and we made a plan and everything and after it because we'd been musicians for many years we love music and I sensed that there was something more that God wanted to do but I thought okay well Forget all the words that we've been given over the years, you know. Oh, yes, you're going to sing before kings, blah, 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 blah. And all that sort of things. Honestly, over the years, we'd had lots of those kind of words. Um, but I laid it all down. I said, it's okay, God. We'll close the church. We'll go and sit in a church. Um, we're happy to do that. You know, we'll do a bit of music. And I'll put down anything that, any ambition to do more than, than, what, than what we're already doing. And we closed our church like in March and then Karen got the call in March as we closed the church about the wedding. Of course, we had no idea that the and wedding was, was going to change. And it was the royal wedding, was just the royal to wedding. be clear. Yeah, so we had no idea that the wedding was, was actually the thing that would change our lives, you know. We just thought it would be a day out. Um, <laughs> Seriously, That's a, a pretty day awesome day out, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a day out, but it did change our lives. But yeah, I... Mm. it's trusting God 
in those quiet moments, isn't it? It's trusting God when you believe that there's more, but there's nothing that you can see that looks like more. It's trusting God when you believe that, that he wants to take you in a different direction, but it's just all closed doors, you know. It's trusting God in those moments, you know, and actually giving away, actually putting stuff down, saying, okay, God, none of the things that I want to do matter. I just, I just want to be with you. That's it. And giving that away. And I, it was at a moment when I personally let my hands, like let go of it, that it just all came flooding back. Um, Louise, I want to ask you, again, thinking about fruitfulness, we talked about fruit where you don't always see, you know, you don't see the growth sort of happening before your eyes or the progress or whatever metric you want to put to it. But again, I know for you working in some of the contexts that you're in, um, there must be times where you feel like you see nothing happening because Again, I know that you're working with people and, and there's a complexity to their lives uh, and there must be a temptation to want to sort of fast track. How have, you, how have you been able just to sit in the slow, as it were, of not seeing things change overnight? Yeah, um, that has been a real journey. Um, particularly my personality type is such an achiever. Like I want to tick things off and achieve things very quickly um but I think for me it comes back to relationship um and I think what Claire was saying about like fruitfulness you've got to look in different places than you would for success so I know that like from a really practical point of view when I first started working that I would write tick lists for really stupid things like have I made someone smile today or like um did did this person that was really isolated, did they have a coffee with me today? Or did someone have a coffee with somebody else? Or it's not even related to me. And I think about trying to spot the fruit and really like name it um, is something that I found really helpful. Because um, it can be easy to miss the moments where there are small little successes, if you want to call it that, um, from community work, but also just everyday life. Um, and I think, yeah, for me, the fruitful life thing just comes back to to relationship with other people and I think um I think back to when I was a student and like a worship song that was really um crucial to me choosing to move into Winston Green was the one where the bridge and it says I will build my life upon your love and I remember just singing that as a student like if I'm singing these words I need to take them seriously <laughs> I can't just sing it and it can't it, yeah, yeah it doesn't it needs to mean something um so just taking like what does that mean and I think for me it means whoever you're talking to whoever you're with treating them with love and respect um and as a valued child of God. So just taking that into every context. And if you're doing that, then that is successful and that will produce fruit. And I think just trusting that it will. Um, and yeah, so I guess for me, it is about being really intentional about reminding myself what has happened that day that is good and where was God in each day. Um, and actually there have been, so I've been, I've worked in Winston Green now for seven years, but four years I've, I've lived there. Um, and there are lots of really lovely stories um, where it, was, where it has been fruitful or I've seen some really great change um, and then maybe it's got worse <laughs> afterwards. Um, but just still holding on to those hopeful moments and they're just like little like way markers on the way of a, a, a longer journey. And I think a discipleship is a long, a long journey and I think it's about, yeah, sort of constantly reminding yourself of that. that um, and it's such a privilege to journey with people for, for a long time. Um, 
yeah, I think it's just, I, I think I try and see it as, as an adventure. It's exciting. I get to be in these people's lives for a long time. And yeah, and I've been changed as well. So the fruit that they've been able, that I've seen in myself because of other people, I really wasn't expecting that. And it's been quite humbling as well. Amazing. Okay, any of you can grab this question. Um, it's really simple. Uh, the, again, the, the culture that we're in talks a lot about ambition. Ambition is a good thing. You know, it's, it's modeled as something that we should all strive to be. Um, and, yet, and yet it can, within sort of a, a Christian context, within what it means to be fruitfulness, it can maybe sl slightly be solid. Can you be ambitious and fruitful? Do the, can the two coexist? Or is ambition just really a dirty word and actually the antithesis of what it means to be fruitful? Does anybody want to? I can go and then you can Just fine over it, guys. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a really interesting... I think ambition for what is a really, really important distinction. I think there's a difference between selfish ambition and ambition because you want to see something done. I think there's like God gives you dreams and visions and he gives you fire in the belly. Um, I think some of us are more wired towards fire in the belly. Um, I can probably see a few of them on this panel. Um, but, you know, you, sometimes you're the, one of those kind of people where you're a little bit like, you know, got an overactive sort of fire hose and you just like, you know, whether you see injustice everywhere and you're like a little bit like this and the work of the Holy Spirit is to just gently direct it. I think there's some people who, you know, they, you know, you're, you're point, always pointing in the right direction. The work of the Holy Spirit is to just crank it up a little bit. Um, but I think I've been on a real journey personally on ambition. Um, I think when, just before I moved to um, Birmingham, actually, I, I, I was in a job and it, I was finding it a little bit boring and I knew I needed a new one. Um, and I was looking for jobs and I found this job in London that I'd applied for and I had an interview for it. And it was like, in my mind, it was like a, it was like a big deal job. It's the kind of job that would like put me on the map in the climate change sector. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is a bit of me. Um, and I remember I was, I was living in Oxford at the time, and I remember I was cycling um, through Oxford on, on, a, on the sort of Saturday night. The job interview was on the Monday, and I realized I hadn't anything to eat. So I, went, I popped into my favorite burrito bar, and I had a burrito. And I was sitting there with my burrito, and I was just completely floored by the Holy Spirit. I'm right in the middle of the burrito bar. It was um, quite awkward. Um, and I had this realization that the reason that I wanted this job was because I wanted to be a big deal. Um, and um, and <laughs> funnily enough, that was not okay with the Lord. Um, and so I um, had this moment of like repentance where I got down on my knees in the middle of this burrito bar and I was like, I'm so sorry, Jesus. Did like, you, did you really? Oh yes, Rach, I did, I did. I love oh, I don't that. know what they thought. Um, have they ever allowed you back into that burrito bar? I don't think I've ever been back. Um, um, so yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on the floor in this burrito bar and I realized like I wanted to make a name for myself. Um, and the Lord was saying, is the name that I've given you not enough? Um, and ooh, <laughs> uh, that'll, that'll go on an Instagram quote when I see, won't it? Um, um, and also that I realized that like so much of my value was based in what I did and what I achieved rather than who God made me to be. You know, when, you know, we see it in Genesis 1, he makes man, he says, that's really good. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what you're saying to me. Like, I made you, Claire, and you're really good. Like, um, even when you're doing absolutely nothing at all, I love you. Um, and that's also, incidentally, why Sabbath is so important because it's that moment where we remind ourselves that even when we're doing absolutely jack, um, 
I have a terrible habit of swearing on panels that Rachel's doing. And I keep inviting you back, Claire. It's the the grace. Uh, Is it because or despite? Who knows? Um, That we are loved and valued. So, um, So, yeah, sorry interlude in the story. Um, so then on the Monday, I had this job interview, and um, and it went okay, but I, I didn't get the job. And I was like, I was praying at the end. I was like, you know, God, you know, like, what was that about? Like, what was that whole thing? And I remember him saying, um, ah, Claire, like, the place that I'm going to put you next is not the place that's, like, best for your career. Um, it's the place that's best for your heart. It's the place that's best for your relationship with me. And that I will grow your career at the rate that your heart and your ego can handle. Um, and, oh, yes. <laughs> and actually, like, like, even that, I kind of just felt this incredible, like, weight off. Firstly, that I didn't have to try and grow my career at all. Um, and, and secondly, that God was going to protect me from my own ego. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was just a wonderful thing. And actually, like... That is a, I can say that that is, a, that is a testament to what God actually did. You know, I came to um, Birmingham. I came to Gastry. It's been an incredibly fruitful, you see, um, fruitful place for my spiritual life. Um, and actually, I've, I've, I've actually seen my, um, my career grow um, to a place where sometimes I'm in rooms and I'm like, what on earth am I doing here? Um, but I can honestly say I haven't had to, like, bash down any doors um, I, I haven't actually applied for a job um, in, in eight years. I've just found myself in different jobs. Um, and, um, and yeah, the, the, Lord, the Lord is very kind to save us from ourselves sometimes. Love that. Great answer. Great. Does anybody want to jump? jump? No, yeah, no, go for it. It's all right. Um, yeah, it's quite a big one for me because I feel like I'm quite, an, like, I'm quite ambitious as a person. Um, so I think particularly when I was a student, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, I just had this thing that I was going to change the world or do something really big. And I think that desire isn't necessarily bad. And I think it's okay to be to be ambitious. Um, I think it's about where you don't, a bit like what Claire said, it's like where you direct it. And I think I've been on a real journey about like where to direct that ambition. Um, and I think Shane Claiborne, who's a theologian and activist in America, who I really love and respect, but he talks about um, this really challenging quote where he says, um, be careful about ambition, because if you're going to constantly climb up a ladder, um, you might just pass Jesus climbing down. <laughs> and I think it's a real challenge. Jesus is um, someone who would actively choose to go to the margins or be with people that are really struggling. Um, and he he made himself smaller and smaller to the point where he, like, was born as a baby, um, you know, and it's really dangerous like, like after having been, you know, God um, and choosing to be a tiny baby is really fragile. And I think that's a real challenge um, to not just try and constantly climb up, but to choose to climb down, but almost seeing that as being ambitious. So ambitiously climbing down is something yeah. that I'm sort of trying to do, but not from a, um, wow, look at me, I'm doing an amazing job, but kind of just a, right, where is Jesus? And like, I'm like really trying to, to follow him ambitiously is probably how I would view it. Love that, ambitiously climbing down. That is very, I like that. Love that on the Instagram. Again, I love that. I love that. I'd love maybe Rebecca and Elaine, you could answer answer this. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to explore what fruitfulness looks like in a season that's sort of marked by grief or disappointment. Um, 
again, perhaps we have this attachment to the word fruitfulness that isn't always helpful. Again, we think of it in terms of growth and progress, but actually there are seasons. I mean, you, you Elaine, talked about that season when your church yeah. closed. Yeah. Does that mean if we're in a season of limitation or grief or disappointment, does that mean our fruitfulness has stopped, has stalled, or can we be fruitful even in those seasons? Maybe, Rebecca, do you want to start? Maybe, Elaine, have you yeah. got anything? Yeah, I think we can, certainly my experience is we can be um, at our most fruitful during those what look like fallow periods. Um, my story is that I got married 25 years ago. Um, everything was a happy start. And then we thought this would be a perfect moment a couple of years in to have children. Ta-da! Sort of assuming that that would be a straightforward and joyful thing. Um, but actually, it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. And um, years passed, we saw doctors, we saw other doctors, and we were told that, medically speaking, it would be impossible for us to have children. And this came as a complete shock to us. Um, and we were both sort of copers and achievers and thought, okay, we'll somehow have to have a, find a different route to fruitfulness. And we, we had no model for it. So we didn't quite know what that would look like. And I'd certainly read that bit in Genesis about being, be fruitful and multiply to mean, if you're married, please go and have many children. And that will be um, your route to fruitfulness. And it was a real struggle. But then we, we kind of figured out, and this is the grace of God, that actually what we, what we read in Genesis is be fruitful and multiply. They're not necessarily the same thing. Multiplying sort of biologically is a, is a fantastic option, but it's not the only route to fruitfulness. And there was this verse that I'm sure many of you all know, um, and it was Joseph's story, that he was fruitful in the land of disappointment. And that was it for us. Everyone around us also, it seems, were popping out babies. Um, I was working. Nothing, nothing was happening in that department. And we felt really, um, we felt left behind. We felt forgotten. And I think particularly in, within the church context, it felt painful, um, almost more so than in the non-church context, where there sort of seems to be more variety um, of fruitfulness in church, it sort of seemed to be that was that was the part, the well-trodden path, and it was really lonely. And we, um, it was a sort of a quiet grief. But what we learned, and this is the grace of God and amazing friends praying for us, that joy and fruitfulness can lie in unexpected places. And despite what, in our case, were literally barren years, God was really kind to us. And we had, we had time to do things that actually were really fruitful, time that friends who were um, knee-deep in nappers didn't have time for in terms of the relationships we invested in, the work we could do. This is when I was working with you, Rach, at HDB and Alpha. Um, and the, the things we were able to do, we could start to see could bear fruit, not of the kinds that we'd anticipated or hoped for, the sort of 
glossy strawberries in the M&S planet. But actually, God did something in that season that I suspect he couldn't have done another way in terms of the, the sort of dismantling and subsequent rebuilding of my character, my identity, what mattered, what didn't matter. You know, what we were hearing from Amy this morning, it was the saving grace, quite literally, for us was being a branch because the branch was connected to the vine and from the vine came all that was good and came life. And fast forwarding, because you may have noticed in my eye introduction, I did mention that we had teenagers. Um, amazingly, after 10 years, um, we went on to become parents. And that's a whole other story for another time. But looking back, despite the, the sadness and the barrenness of those years, we wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change that decade or trade it for anything because God did something in our characters and as a consequence in our marriage that I don't know how else would have been achieved and we're, we're better for it. Is there anything you'd like to add? Thank you, Rebecca. That was amazing. Yeah, it really was. I, I'm not sure if I can add anything. Right, okay. So um, <laughs> it's yeah, about a year ago. I can. I think I can. About a year ago, um, yeah, about a year ago, after having COVID, and then I think I was on a, you know, you can look back a year later, I, I think I was on, on the path to burnout, actually. Then there was COVID, then there was menopause, yeah? So that's, I a, had, that's a cocktail right That's there. a cocktail, my dear. Lud. And it hit me really bad. Like, I, I was out of action for months, actually, about five months, vertigo, all sorts of mad stuff going on. And then I had loads and loads of health issues all of a sudden and was in and out of the doctors and the hospitals and they were looking for all sorts of mad things. I was like, wait, what? Me? Are you sure? <laughs> but anyway, um, that whole season, I realised um, I couldn't do, like I, I couldn't perform. I couldn't, I couldn't be the, the shiny Elaine, you know, who looked for... Her, her validation. She didn't realize, but she actually did quite look for a validation, especially after the last four years where everybody cheers, you know, and now nobody's cheering, nobody's calling, you know, and I'm, I'm in bed and I can't get out of bed. And it's, it was really horrendous. Um, and all I could do was sit with Jesus. And I remember one day when it was really bad, like, the tinnitus is really bad, the vertigo. Has anybody had it? Horrendous, I see you. It's awful, right? And um, I was screaming and crying. And, and all I heard really, just really quietly is like, let me do this, Elaine. That's all he said really quietly. Now, I know that he doesn't make us sick, innit? But really, it was really about that time that I needed. I needed some time out with him. He used that time to tell me some things that I couldn't hear in the middle of this, all this. I, I couldn't hear it. And um, they're actually life-changing things that I'm processing now and trying to work out now. Um, and I think I did grow. but it, I think I did. Did I grow, Lauren? 
Have I grown? That's my daughter on the front row. She'll give you an honest answer. Yes, yeah, she yeah, will. She said, yeah, thumbs up, thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs up, I've grown. What, what would you say, Elaine, was the fruit then of that season? Because again, outwardly, you'd think, you know, you're in bed, you're yeah. ill, you can't, it's totally limited. Yeah. But clearly God was at work. Yeah. How would you kind of identify the fruit then of that season? Um, I think the fruit, the fruit really is about trusting God. And knowing that I can't make anything happen. I, I, he's in charge of my life. Like, and he really is. He, he does care. He's in charge of our lives. He, he's very much a part of our lives. And it had to get, I had to get to that point where I, I realized I couldn't make anything happen. And so now, hey. I just got to trust him, innit? Yeah. I just, I can't make anything happen. I'm really not that great. It's the branch thing, isn't it? <laughs> he, like, I'm a branch. This is it. That's I'm a self-confessed branch. Branch. I'm a branch. branch, babes. Yeah. Yeah. But in the vine. But we're in the vine. <laughs> I'd love to ask about um, how f- fruitfulness plays out in relationships. I know, Claire, you're not married. Louise, you're not married. We've got two married women there's a mixture again, children, not children. So how does, how does fruitfulness look in terms of our family relationships, in terms of our friendships? Again, there's, I think there is, um, I don't know what the, what the word is necessarily, but I think there is a leaning within the church towards believing that fruitfulness is attached to marital status. Let's <laughs> give me the eye. And, you know, again, that sort of, you know, go forth and multiply. I think we do buy into that, don't we? And yet, again, you look at the, Jesus wasn't married. He didn't have any children. Paul holds the single life up, says, you know, if, if you really have to, then get married. But ideally, could you all just stay single? Because you're going to be way more fruitful that way. And yet, somehow in the church, We've kind of got it the wrong way round. I'm, I'm like, it's like a, like a volley, a volleyball player, and like yeah, setting it up. You're for setting Claire. it up. I'm ready um, to spike that one. <laughs> but actually, for for all of us, I think I think our relationships, whether you're a parent or not a parent, whether you're married or not married, it do, it does play in and out of that. Who who wants to grab that one first? I, I'd be interested to hear actually from all of you on that one. Why don't you married folk go first at the <laughs> Oh really? Yeah, you want me to go? Go, 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 go. Oh, well, that didn't work, did it? Um, um, so the Lord called me to celibacy when I was 23. Um, and I think it's probably safe to say that I was um, slightly less than impressed with his calling. Um, <laughs> it was not part of the plan. Um, and in all honesty, I was absolutely devastated. Um, I, I thought basically um, a lifetime's calling to celibacy and singleness was essentially a lifetime calling to like loneliness and depression. Um, and, and I think, you know, as sort of Rachel said, I mean, she's done a fantastic job there of um, preaching exactly what the Bible says about singleness. Um, but I think, as you said, in the church, um, you know, we often talk about, you know, marriage being a gift from God and singleness being a gift from God. Um, but like often the way that we treat it is like, you know, marriage is like the new iPhone 15, titanium, like sparkly in its case. And like singleness is like the old itchy, jumpy and nan knits you at Christmas. And, you know, you've got to wear it because she's sitting right there. But everything inside, like, you know, how long do I have to wear this before I can take it off? 
Um, and I think that's often the way that we, you know, treat singleness in the church is like the itchy jumper. And it's like literally how long do I have to wear this before I can take it off and like get the new iPhone? Um, and so, yeah, I was, not, I was not best pleased when the Lord called me to um, the itchy jumper. Um, but, um, and I think the, the nature of um, perhaps being called to lifelong singleness rather than celibacy was I was almost like forced to really dig into um, what God says about singleness. Um, and uh, when I opened my Bible, honestly, I found these like incredible, incredible promises around what God has for single people and like unique things that God has for single people. Um, I think that there is um, a level of intimacy um, with God that is that is unique to singleness. Um, Isaiah 54 has been a massive passage over my life where God says to the barren woman, you know, um, sing, like your children will be more than her who is married. Um, and she says, he says, like, rejoice because your maker is your husband. Now, I don't care how good Tim Hughes is. Jesus is better when it comes to, like, picking <laughs> out your husband. Hey. I'm going to pick a fight with you right there. Um. But yeah, but I think, and then, so basically my life, the last story of my um, uh, 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 12 years, trying to work out how old I am, um, has really been learning how to like squeeze the goodness out of the gift of singleness um, and to get all the stuff that you have like unique just because, just because essentially you're not married and you don't have kids, you've got a heck of a lot more time, um, a heck of a lot more um, uh, like capacity to pour into things that aren't family. Um, and to really sort of like use that wise and really to take that like Jesus is my husband. So I'm going to like invest in that relationship like you would a marriage. Um, you know, me and Jesus, we go on date nights. We do pillow talk like, you know. Um, <laughs> you actually do. I remember you yeah, saying yeah, like yeah. you go out for like a curry with Jesus. Oh, yeah. Sometimes not, not I order him a curry place. too. I wouldn't go back there. Just... <laughs> oh, I'm feeling a bit hungry, you know. Oh, he has something spicy always. Um, um but yeah, and to really, to really invest in it. And I think like um, what really breaks my heart when I look around the church and I see um, like, like there is nothing wrong with being single and, and wanting to be married. Like that is, a, that, is, that, is, that is a desire that is from God. Like that is absolutely fine. But I think like coming back to that passage that you were talking about there, Rach, um, I think, you know, Paul says, you know, um, I wish you were all single. You know, the, the married man's concerned with his wife um, and, you know, the single man's concerned with the kingdom. Um, and I think what I see when I look around the church more often than not is, yeah, the married man's concerned with his wife. Sure, he's got one. Um, but, like, the single man's concerned with his wife. He doesn't even have one. Um, he's spending all of that, like, thought energy um, thinking about the fact that he hasn't got a wife. Um, and I think, like, that's what I, that's what I see so much in, like, um, a lot of my, like, single friends is their, like, the amount of, like, energy that is poured into, like, thinking about, worrying about, obsessing about, trying to get out of singleness and I'm like, dude, like, 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 deal, like, live with the gift that you've got for now. Like, you know, if, if the husband comes along, then, you know, praise the Lord. Um, but like, you've got the gift of singleness now and like squeeze every ounce of goodness out of that. And I think if we can get to a place in the church where um, people are um, content and, and living their best single life, um, then the question is not, is, doesn't become like, what is the lowest bar possible in a man to get me out of singleness? Um, the bar becomes, is this man worth giving up my singleness for? Exactly. Um, yes. And I think if we do that, um, then we end up not only with a bunch of much more fruitful, much more happy single ladies, um, but also a lot better marriages because they're not going into it from a place of like, um, goodness knows what. Um, yeah, is that enough? It's great. Does anybody else want to 
Yeah, brilliant. She got anybody... me on my pet topic there. <laughs> Does anybody else want to speak to sort of fruitfulness in the context of relationships? Anything to draw out there? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm married. <laughs> I love him. He's great, actually. We've been married for 33 years, actually. And um, he's incredible. He, he has really helped to bring out the fruit of the Spirit in me. <laughs> in everyday life. And patience, right? The reality is... The <laughs> What's so funny? Patience, patience is a... Yeah. This is yeah. it. <laughs> but, and the reality is, isn't it, that the, the internal work that happens in terms of fruit... It, the people close to you get to Im be impacted by the internal work that you've done or not done. Um, and so I would say Kevin over the years, honestly, he's incredible, but he has really helped me. And I've helped him, come on, I've helped him <laughs> um, really work on the fruit of the Spirit and be the best people that we can be. Um, and, and then we've modelled that to our children. Um, we, we obviously haven't been perfect, we're, we're only human, but... I think we, we allowed ourselves to be human and be people of faith, to get things wrong, to apologize, to go and work on stuff, you know, with a therapist together, uh, separately, to do all the work that we could to show that, you know, we can do this, but we actually do need some help. And it's okay to get that help, you know, so that we can be good people. And I, just building on what um, Claire and Elaine have said, I think our relational fruitfulness grows the more we hang out together. Because there's a, I think the church is unique in the opportunity it gives us to do life with people who are actually not that like us. Because so often elsewhere, we're sort of siloed. You know, you've got the working mums, and then you've got the marrieds, and then you've got the singles, and then you, da, 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 da. you know, there's sort of a category. But I think in our churches, we need to resist that silo life and really embrace each other. And there's nothing like, um, I imagine, Claire, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as a single person, seeing other married couples may well, at times, confirm your decision to be single. You know, <laughs> likewise, you know, it's Amen. good. Naming for, no names. It, yeah. it's, good for, it's good for us to be in the mix. And actually at our church, we had an evening um, on Signalist a few weeks ago. And the message to the church was, this is for everyone. You know, this isn't an evening for the single people. This is actually an evening for all of us to think about how we live together. You know, how a family's life can be enriched by embracing people who are not other families, who are on their own or childless couples and vice versa. Um, and I think there's huge richness in that. Can I just build on that? Because um, I think that that's really important. I think that's bang on. Because I think um, the gift of marriage is not just for married people. It's also for single people. Um, and, like, my life has been personally hugely blessed by, like, families and married people, some of whom are sitting in this room, um, who, like, I feel like a part of their families. And that stability and, like, consistency is a huge blessing to me. Um, and similarly, like, my married friends um, benefit from the fact that um, I'm much more flexible um, and can be around when they've got, you know, small children. Um, and, and so I think there's those... those 
those blessings actually go both ways, but that only happens when you're in that kind of community. And I think the other um, thing that's really important about that is being in tight community with people who are different from you stops you from idolizing the things that you don't have. Um, and so, like, you know, um, when you're, like, single and you're sitting there thinking, my life would be so much easier if I was married, and then, you you know, you're with your married friends and you find out actually their lives aren't, like, completely um, simple and straightforward. Um, and everything didn't, like, suddenly get fixed when they got married. Um, actually, that's really helpful. And then similarly, like, if you're at home and you're, you know, your husband's being a pain in the ass and your kids are, um, I was about to swear again, um, you know, pissing up the walls or whatever. Um, and, and the only thing you have single people is, like, sipping margaritas on Instagram. Um, then you're sitting there going, ah, oh, man, singleness is so easy. Um, but that close relationship, like, not only do you, are you blessed by each other, but it stops you from idolizing the gift that you don't have as well. Do you know, we, um, we, we've always had people live with us. So in our, we've always managed to have extra space to enable somebody to come and live with us. And um, typically, it's been somebody that's, uh, you know, either just graduated uni or in their early 20s. And uh, most of the time, it's been like an amazing, like mutual blessing. And it is, it is that thing of, uh, you, we've got this brilliant um, young woman called Alice. I she might even be in the room. She's probably at the other seminar because she's sick to death of hearing my voice. Um, <laughs> but she's amazing. You know, so just come, come and live with us. Like, don't pay rent. Just be part of the family. Like, eat with us when you want. You know, just, just love on our children. Be part of the family. And, 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 you know, she, she's amazing with our kids and is super helpful, uh, you know, at times where, like, filling in the gaps with our kids and everything. And, and I know, I know that there is that mutual blessing of, there are times that I look at her like, yeah, she has an amazing social life. Like, oh, man, and I'm an extrovert. Thinking, I would love to, but equally, I'm reminded that, your early 20s is a pretty tumultuous time. And, you know, there's stuff that you have to journey through that's not always easy, etc. And I, I know for her, I'm trusting that, that she must, that I tell you what, there is nothing like having somebody live with you <laughs> to really grow in the fruits of the Spirit when you're, you know, really tired or really annoyed with your children and your husband. And you know that there is somebody else listening to your conversation. <laughs> it's really good. Um, but I know for her, I, I'm hoping that she looks at our marriage and our family and thinks, ah, oh, that I'd love that. But equally, I think we probably do a really good job of showing her that it's not always a bed of roses either. And I think that's right. There is something about Christian community that allows that. Were you about to say something? Yeah, about, yeah if that's all right. Go for um, it. Yeah. <laughs> Just to build on that, I think, um, yeah, like I am in my 20s, I'm 25, um, and I think you know, a relationship is something that I would really like. And um, um, while I was a student, Claire was kind of my mentor and we would talk a lot. So I had the Claire Jackson School of Singleness is Amazing, Wait for the Guy. <laughs> that is worth sacrificing singleness for. Um, and yeah, so I've, I'm, I'm still single. I, I have been in a relationship that wasn't that helpful, but it was a time. And I think just thinking about fruitful life, I think that thing about a community is so that was, was so true for me when I was in that relationship of just being, it was the people that were closest to me that could then say, oh, you're not, there's not much fruit on you at the moment. You seem really tired. <laughs> or like, you're really not, you know, like potentially not yourself. Or they're the people that know you the best. So I think it's so important to surround yourself with people that really know you um, 
to be able to help you through the journey of relationships as just like, you know, someone that's not hopefully planning to be single forever, <laughs> but not yet married, of being like really important to have those people in your life too. And I know you're going to be talking about pruning later, Rachel, but um, to kind of help you prune through that process of, of dating and, yeah, and knowing yourself. Amazing. I, there's just one other thing I'd, I'd like to, to ask. And then I think we will just do, like just literally take a handful of questions I'd love to just quickly talk about, I'm, I'm looking at, I know, uh, I know that all four of you work in contexts where you're not constantly surrounded by Christians. You know, whether it's the workplace or the community, you know, you're, you're constantly around people that don't share your faith. Again, what does it look like to be fruitful in sharing our faith in a way that um, is fruitful rather than forceful? If that make, I just made that up. I'm quite proud of that. It's alliterative. It's going on the Instagram. Yeah, post. it's good. So yeah, again, does it, who would like to to pick that one up? What does it look like to be fruitful in a context where it might even be that it's not it's not allowed to talk about Jesus necessarily? Or yeah, go on. Um, I heard the saying. I think it was Bill Johnson said, "If you can't mention Jesus, just be Jesus." Like, just be him. I, I, I'm never under the pressure I'm to, I'm, I'm not really trying to evangelize everybody. I just want to be me and hope that Jesus will flow through me for whoever needs it in the way that they need it. Um, I'm not trying to make it complicated. You know, I'm not trying to give an altar call at every performance. Although sometimes it happens actually quite often in performances we've had a word of knowledge and it's just the way that you would deliver it you're not going to put a load of Jesus you know jargon over it you're just going to say I just sense that blah 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 you know and then someone will come up at the end and say oh thank you that was me and it's like wow he doesn't need all the fluffiness that, that sometimes we feel like we need he can work he you know he works in spite of us actually um so I don't wear that pressure I know a lot of people do but I don't can I add something to that? Um, yeah, I yeah, I completely agree. Um, um, for me, it's about the choices that I make and the way that I live, and I just hope that people can see just Jesus through the choices that that we're making. Um, particularly in my context, a lot of the time there's like a power dynamic um, to play, and that makes it a lot more complicated with bringing up faith. Um, yeah, you just never want it to be a controlling thing. Um, but do I have time to tell a really quick story? Um, just I had a friend at uni who um, has not come from any sort of Christian background. And I remember it was like the first year I was at um, like a student night and uh, the student pastor was saying, I really feel like everyone should invite a friend along to next week. So everyone text somebody you might want to bring along. And I just thought of this friend. Um, and then I just <laughs> really, really heard God say, no, don't invite her. Don't invite her. It's not. It's not the right time. It's not appropriate. Don't invite her. I was like, well, that's easy. That's just my voice. I just like. I don't have to invite her. It's not going to be embarrassing or whatever. And then I just felt God say, look, look, she's on, she's on a train, and and just sit on that train with her and get to know her and be her friend. Um, so I met her seven years ago, and then over the last year, I mean, over the past seven years, we we've become best friends, and um, she's changed a lot of my views around things, and I've, we've had lots of really deep chats and. 
been really open on both sides. And then over the last year, she's just been like, wow, Louise, the way it's not meant to be big-headed, but like the choices that you've made and where you're living, um, you take it really seriously. Um, and she is, is exploring faith and would now call herself a Christian and goes to church. But that's been such a long journey. Um, and I think to go back to what someone said earlier, like a fruitful life is long. It's like, it's not, you don't instantly pray for someone, they become a Christian. It's like, it's like a discipleship is genuine friendship. And I think I genuinely love that friend and she genuinely loves me. And it's not like I'm trying to convert someone because they're a number. But um, yeah, I feel like we've both impacted each other's lives. And just the outworking of that is that she's now met Jesus. Um, but yeah, it almost, I was almost like, annoyed when she became a Christian because I was like she was like my really special non-Christian friend <laughs> you know how selfish of her oh. but yeah that's all what about again Claire thank you for that Louise um for Claire and Becca in, in I guess more of a corporate context how how are you fruitful for the kingdom in the relationships there I mean, I, I set the bar low, I have to say, in this department. I mean, my starting point is when the people I'm working with discover that I'm a Christian, please can they not be shocked? You know, that's the starting point. That It's like, my, my, there's no way she's a Christian. Um, but actually, I mean, I'm not a great evangelist, but... There's an irony there, isn't there, with your history I'm heading up an anyone, alpha. I'll invite anyone to an alpha course, but... People really notice stuff and they notice what I think we often think are the small things. Actually, if we're the people who um, are kind and are quick to take responsibility for something that hasn't gone so well in the office and we're not being mean about someone behind their back, you know, things that when we think about the fruits of the Spirit, you know, is what we're all hoping to be. That kind of stuff is pretty unusual when it's consistent and people really notice it. And um, a few times, and I can't pretend this has happened a lot, but a few times people, people have asked, oh, do you, you know, do, you, do you have a faith? I kind of noticed X, Y, or Z. Or, you know, when we're saying on Monday, what do you do at the weekend? It's like, oh, I went to church. I was at the Orchard Conference in Birmingham. Um, you know, people notice. So I think... Let's not beat ourselves up over how many people we've led to Jesus since Tuesday. Actually, have, have we been fruitful in terms of our inner nature, our connection and our infilling with the Holy Spirit? Has that been evident in our lives? And I mean, others may think that's a cop-out, but um, that's, what I, that's, what I've, that's my best approach. Um, so I think for me, it's been about like taking down this divide between the sacred and the secular. Um, and like church is no more sacred than my workplace. Um, and, and so it's about for me being exactly the same in church and with my Christian friends than I am with my, um, non-Christian friends or my, my workplace and my work friends. Um, and like Jesus is my life. Um, and my friends at work are my friends, and so they, they know about Jesus because he's my world in the same way that I know about their things that are really important to them. Um, and I think, I mean, I've, there's been lots of um, times over the years where, like, God's really challenged me about 
being the same person um, in the workplace as I am outside of the workplace. Um, a really um, like slightly funny um, example um, was actually it was uh, maybe like a year into no, it was actually probably about six months into moving to Birmingham. So I was in like essentially like a reasonably brand new job, um, and I've been working on this um, uh, hydrogen project. Um, and it like it basically had no funding attached to it, and we were trying to get people to fund it, and we couldn't. We were a small little boutique consultancy, and so we basically couldn't do work that nobody paid us for. But honestly, I really believed in this project. And I had a me meeting with my boss um, on the like Monday or Tuesday, and he was like, "Look, Claire, like if we don't get any funding by the end of this week, then we're just going to have to kill it." Um, and I was driving home from work, and I was I was just praying, and I was like, "Oh, Jesus, like." I, I really want to see, like, breakthrough in this project. I really want it to go ahead. And I just felt him say, like, um, so, like, Claire, what do you do when you want breakthrough in something? I was like, oh, well, Jesus, you know, I, I like, pray and I fast. Um, and he was like, um, well, then. Um, and I was like, well, I actually don't really have any time between now and uh, the end of the um, week to, like, you know, take a day and, like, pray and fast for this project. Um, but he was like, you know, Claire, like, we're the same inside and outside. So... Um, I got home and I, I sent my boss an email um, and I said, okay, this is going to sound really strange to you, but um, <laughs> I'm a Christian and um, I've been, I was praying about this project and I felt the Lord tell me to take a day to pray and fast for it. Um, how, how would you feel about me not coming into the office on Thursday? <laughs> um, and I, I got an email back where he'd copied in the rest of the, like, partners <laughs> from the company. Um, and he said, uh, Claire, um, we've had a chat about this as the, like, leadership team. And bit weird. Um, but okay. Um, and so I get to Thursday and I'm like, like, no pressure, God. But, like, we're both going to look dumb if this doesn't come off. <laughs> Um, and so I took the day, like, praying and fasting in a slight state of fear and trepidation. Um, and uh, I got in on the Friday and had two meetings, and the project was fully funded. Um, which, was, which, which was amazing. And, um, and so I think, like, and now my boss, every time he wants something, he's like, Claire, maybe you should pray and fast about that. He tried that. If we win this giant project, I'll come to church. Um, I told him he can't bargain with God like that. Um, but yeah, and so I think it's just, it's about, I mean, that's the heart of integrity, right? It's, it's being the same person everywhere. Um, and I think, like, if we do that, then we will, you know, even if, you know, my boss still not a Christian. Um, but I think we will see fruit if we just, yeah, just the same. Just that integrity, I think, is really important. Um, yeah. Is that Amazing. Okay, we've got, we've got time for just a couple. I know there are so many people in the room. Um, are the roving mic people here? Yes, amazing. Uh, if you've got a question for any one of the people up here or just a general question, speak now or forever hold your peace. Put a hand in the air if you've got one. If, if, the, uh, if the guys on the mics could just choose someone first first to get to a person with a hand up. Okay. Hi. Um, my name's Lola. Um, thanks for everything that you said. It's been really encouraging. Um, 
just wanted to ask, how do you feel, how do you continue to produce fruit when you feel God has called you into a certain area, but you've faced a lot of disappointment within the church? Um, how do you keep going? How do you, first of all, get clarity that is this what God has called me to? And second of all, heal when church goes wrong and is discouraging of that vision you feel God has called you to? Anybody want to jump in there? Um, well, I'm at Gas Street, so I'm never disappointed with church. <laughs> no. Is the right answer. Um, I know that's not true either. <laughs> she gets my feedback emails. <laughs> it's true, there's a lot of them. And we're still friends, we're so still that's friends, good. Exactly. That's good. Um, yeah, I think this is a, this is a really tricky one. Um, I think there's probably no one in this room who hasn't experienced some sort of like disappointment and hurt in church because, hey, we're family and family's messy. Um, and I think it often comes, you know, when there's a slight like misalignment of certain prioritization and, and values or sometimes just like miscommunication is often like the heart of that. And I think for me, the key there is to like, like just tr like keep a soft heart, ask the Lord to keep your heart soft um, and like practice forgiveness. Um, in the same time, it's like, you know, if something's wrong, we, you know, we, we stand against it. Um, but I think there's a certain like, yeah, we're family. Um, and so this stuff happens, but we keep our hearts soft. And I think the other thing is I think particularly in those areas where like you've got a real passion for something and you don't feel like the church is like stepping up and meeting that. Um, like, make your own corner of the world sane in that kind of way. Like, you, like you, you can be a shaping force in the church. If you see things where the church is lacking, like, be that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, yeah, ultimately it's, you know, trying to keep your heart soft, practice forgiveness and keep talking. I don't know about anyone else. I think, well, let's go for that. Brilliant. Thank you, Claire. And... More questions. Um, thank you so much. It's been really great to hear all of your stories. Um, what is your experience with having initiative? I feel like a lot of you are kind of go-getters. I'm just making an observation there. Um, yeah, what's your experience with that? Do you think it's a good thing? Can it be, can it hold you back? Yeah, I'd like to know. Oh, did you get that, guys? I will take the initiative with this one. Um, <laughs> I think in stepping out, taking risks, using our initiative, I think that's a God-given thing. God's created us to make decisions, to be productive slash fruitful. Um, and I think we need to create uh, an environment where it's okay to fail. Because if we take risks, some will be outstanding successes. Some will be completely terrible, embarrassing disasters. But I think, let, you know, let's encourage each other. Let's do it in, you know, in work terms, in relationships. Let's just be ready to push it out a bit. But I think if the very fact you're asking that question about a sort of a sense of initiative, I would say give it a try and let's do stuff together, support each other and take risks. Risks are good. Can I add as well? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the areas in my life where I've maybe seen fruit, if you want to call it that, has come from when I've been um, 
courageous and made like bold decisions. And I think the majority of those times have come from just my initiative and thinking this feels right. <laughs> um, and not necessarily like really spending hours like interceding and praying, um, but just I don't know, there's lots of different examples, but just thinking like, I grew up with a stammer and like speaking was really difficult. And I just knew, well, I, I have a voice and I've got things to say, so I need to speak. I didn't spend hours like praying, do I need to speak in this moment or that moment? Um, but then just knowing that God's with you, like as you're taking initiative um, and that, yeah, as long as you're being kind and loving and, and yeah, I think it's fine to, yeah, as you said, just to give it a go and not be afraid to fail um, is a massive part. I think that those are great answers. I, th I think we need to be aware that sometimes church environments are not good places for initiative. They're not. Are they? Is that, is that just my experience? Go on, church. unpack that. Um, uh, churches are messy places, but actually it's, it's jarring sometimes for the way that church is set up. In the Western culture, everybody needs to be doing a certain thing. Everybody needs to go a certain way. So if you're someone who is an initiative taker, um, and who can see, you know, what needs to be done, it might not always be valued. It might not always be welcomed because you're now being a disruptor, aren't you? And, um, you know, churches sometimes, I love church, don't get it twisted, but I'm just saying sometimes church doesn't know how to handle that, doesn't know how to welcome it. I think you have touched a nerve in the room. I think actually it is... We do need to have those conversations. Yeah. It's really important. Anyone else want to add before we take another question? Is there another question out there? Somebody right in the middle of a row. You're going to have to clamber over. There's one at the front. <laughs> oh, no, there's one. Thank you. Um, so how, how would you suggest that we reacted um, when somebody tells us that we're not being fruitful? How do we respond to that? Um, and how do we continue to love that person anyway, even when we disagree with what they've said? Ooh. I, I would start by saying, I'm not sure that I can think of a scenario where I would want to call somebody out on their seeming lack of fruitfulness, if I'm honest. Um, but maybe, I, I don't know, what, what do you guys think? I mean, to be honest, I was going to sort of break the rule of not swearing in what I would say <laughs> to them, but... Um... Oh. <laughs> do it, do it. <laughs> Please don't, or get complaint emails. <laughs> Yeah, it's a difficult one. I think it's really important to have honest conversations and we can be really vulnerable with each other. But I think, yeah, if it's not someone that knows you really, really well, even if it is someone that knows you really, really well, it needs to be in the context of um, lots of people that know you really well. Um, and also we know ourselves really well. Um, and I think, yeah, um, I think everything should be like contextualised. And yeah, I think as, as Rachel said, I'm not sure anyone's really got, you know, it's Jesus that said point don't point out the speck in someone's eye because you've got a log in your own. So I think take everything that people accuse you with with a pinch of salt. Um, but yeah, there's also something, as um, other people were talking about, um, fruitful life and fruit growing, you know, it's like a messy thing, isn't it? It's in the dirt and there's thorns and it's not, you don't just see the fruit, there's all the mess around it. Um, and it's really important to learn how to navigate the difficult, messy stuff. Um, and I think, yeah, in the context of people that you trust is probably, would be my advice to that. 
I think I would take things to my mom or I'd take things to friends and be like, this person said this to me, what do you think? <laughs> I, I mean, I would, I would add to that that I think there are certain relationship, close relationships that I've had where I might look at that person and recognize that there was perhaps a degree of them not stepping into things that I could see God had called them in, was calling them to. And so maybe, maybe the, the person who frames the statement like that is doing what I'm saying in a really clumsy way. Because yeah. actually I think there are moments where, again, it has to be a close relationship. We can say to one another, you know, I, I see this on your life. And for some reason, I can also see that you're resisting that. That, that, that you're not fully stepping into this call that God's clearly put, like it's blindingly obvious to everyone that, that you're really good at this or when you do that, it's really fruitful. And so I'm wondering as your friend, as someone who loves you, why? Why are you not stepping into it? And, it, and so I would probably frame the conversation like that in, in the hope that the other person would say, well, do you know what? Actually, I'm really afraid or... I got really hurt when I stepped out last time or I've just got so much going on right now. Do you know what I mean? I think I'd try and set it up in that way that it would actually enable the person to open up. I feel like the framing of it in that way is quite judgmental and potentially shuts down the conversation. Yeah. I think we've got time for one last question. I can see a couple of hands up. So roving mics, can you choose? Hi. Hi. Um, I've got my mom sitting next to me and we're just having a little conversation about we often feel that other people see the fruits in us and we're reaping, oh, are reaping the benefits of our fruits and are seeing the light of Jesus in us. But then how do you yourself get to reap the fruits that you're growing? Yeah, that's an interesting question. My, my immediate response was how much is the fruit that God is wanting to cultivate in our lives for our benefit and how much is for the benefit of others? And I think that's one of the that's almost one of the hallmarks of fruitfulness is that our fruit is usually for the benefit of others. Um, I don't know, again, does anyone have any, any thoughts to add on that? I mean, I think like, again, if we sort of come back to Galatians 5, um, and there's a list of like wonderful things that grow in us when we're, when we're in Jesus. Um, and I think... It, it is, it's for you and it's for the people in your life as well. Like, you know, that peace, that joy. Um, like, if that's the stuff that you're growing, like, oh, my word. Like, that's, that's amazing for you. And hopefully the sort of overspill of that is um, that other people benefit from that as well. And I think we also have to just distinguish slightly from, like, um, the fruit that God grows in us and, like, having a sort of, like, fruitful ministry. Um, and I think that they're, they're two different things. Um, and you can grow fruit in other people. In all honesty, you can grow fruit in other people without being 
a Christian, like without being connected to Jesus at all. You can have an exceptionally successful um, a job, ministry, whatever it is, um, that you know brings life and does wonderful things in other people without actually, you know, Jesus says, sits there and says, you know, you prophesied in my name, I don't even know you. Um, so it's possible to like be benefiting other people whilst being completely barren yourself. Um, and uh, so, I, so I think like the fruit that we're looking to grow primarily is that fruit of the spirit that um, is that wonderful thing that's internal and then overspills um, and, and benefits the people around us. But I think that's the garden we got to like, um, that, we, that we've got to start with. Um, and then what we see out of that is then an overflow which comes into our ministries and our relationships and those kinds of things. But the first thing that we do is our relationship with Jesus, um, which is what grows that Galatians 5 through the Spirit. Anyone got any final closing pearls of wisdom before we, anything that you're sitting there thinking, ah, oh, Rachel didn't quite ask the right question to enable me to say this. I mean, I would say, having said all that we've said, it's really not that deep. Do you know what I mean? It's really not. We're living it. We actually are living it. He's living in us and he's growing stuff in us. And it shows to the world and the people yeah. around us. It's not that deep, guys. Well, it's, like, it's like the apple tree, isn't it? That, it is. You know, the apple tree doesn't, as you were saying, have to like, oh, I must yeah. make an apple. That actually it's the stuff that Amy was talking about. If you're, in, if you're in Christ, if the branch is attached to the vine, yeah. fruit, it just happens. Like yeah. it will happen. And I guess we could land there that if the fruit isn't happening, are you attached to the vine? That's... That's the question. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on socials at The Orchard Women to find out more about everything coming up.